from meager beginnings as an adolescent ambulance washer in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to a decade-long legacy of bringing you breaking news before it makes the news. Broadcasting live from the studios of Scared Monkeys Radio Network via C-Band Satellite W3-957, Access Communications Channel 7, and worldwide via digital streaming audio at scaredmonkeysradio.com, it's the Dana Pretzer Show. And now, your host, Dana Pretzer. Okay, good evening, everyone. A big show ahead of us tonight. We're going to uh, do a follow-up on a uh, story we covered, actually, uh, about a book called The Charmer, about Robert uh, Reldon, uh, the serial killer. And the uh, two authors, uh, Charles Buckley and uh, Richard Muti, are here, and we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with the book, uh, an award nomination, and um, get their thoughts as far as uh, that and uh, some other stories that are in the news. Uh, Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? Good evening, Good. Dana. Great, great to be here. Merry Christmas, uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, let's let's start with uh, Richard. Um, let's uh, maybe if you could refresh my audience's memory or the first time listeners about the Charmer. What's the book about? The book's about uh, the strange case of Robert Reldon, um, uh, a Bergen County, New Jersey uh, serial killer, as you said, uh, in the mid seventies. Um, abducted and murdered two young women in Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, that in itself is not unusual. It's the uh, the the tortuous path uh, that this killer followed during his 25-year criminal career, and the uh, strange circumstances that occurred in bringing him to justice. Charles Buckley, my co-author, was the prosecutor who finally convicted Reldon after two prior prosecutions had failed of this double murder and put him away for life. Excellent book. I've read it. Uh, we've uh, covered the, the, the book on the show and talked about it. Uh, fans of uh, Blink from Blink on Crime, she's talked about it. Uh, Charles, uh, how about the award? Uh, tell us what's uh, up with that, the USA Book News 2012 uh, book competition. Well, Rich is, a, Rich is better able to talk about that award than I am. He's been uh, more involved in that kind of uh, aspects of the book. Yeah, let me jump in, sure. uh, Dana. Uh, the book was nominated for an award. USA Book News uh, each year conducts uh, an annual competition among books in various categories, various genres. Um, and I think there are 1,500 entries uh, in all of the different categories in 2012. We, of course, entered our book in the true crime category. I'm not sure how many entries there were, but we achieved the designation of award finalist, which is really quite prestigious to get that uh, designation, and we're quite pleased with it. And uh, it it has really spurred sales. Uh, We're in our second printing of the book. There are uh, three Hollywood producers looking at the book, hopefully – one of them will decide, we're still in the early stages, but hopefully one of them will decide that it would make a good movie. Most people <laughs> who read the book think it, it would be ideal for a movie treatment. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Charles, who's going to play you? <laughs> we're thinking of Brad Pitt. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, we, I won't take that any further. <laughs> hey, I'm not but... even close. <laughs> Listen, Charles, uh, to, to, to go back uh, all those years... Uh, to in your mind, in your memory, to to get the words down on paper and print, and and then to be nominated for an award like this, it's it's got to be uh, heartwarming. Well, it's it's an incredible result. I mean, I give all the credit to Rich. Rich is the Rich is a talented, talented writer. I, you know, I, I had the initi- initiative to start the book, but there's no way it gets done without the his very professional approach to the writing. I, it would t- I'd write five pages, he'd write one, and it would be much better than I could uh, ever put together. It, just, it was a great relationship to, to work on this. Richard, when you put the words on paper, and, uh, of course, uh, you, you obviously want to attract the reader, the buyer. The, in the digital age we have now, the online Kindle, whatever they're called. I'm not up on that technology yet. But uh, to, to go there, and, of course, listeners can go to Amazon and, uh, and download the book in probably about 12 seconds and read it and, and, and love it. Uh, how do you get their attention 
to pick up the book and not be able to put it down. That's what all authors tell me, is they want to hear that that reader picked it up and just couldn't put it down. And and that's the response we get, Dana, from, from folks who uh, give us feedback on the book. And, you know, it's, it's uh, almost writing it as a narrative, almost... Uh, Casting it as a novel. I mean, you've seen the uh, the uh, plot-sensitive uh, books of uh, uh, legal thrillers and true crime uh, or, or thrillers uh, in the criminal genre, but you know you need to uh, uh, structure each chapter so that you you leave the reader with with the incentive to read on because right. there are some unanswered questions that you may have raised in the last sentence or two of the preceding chapter and. And it's hard to put the book down. Uh, just about everyone who uh, responds to us, uh, and, and there have been dozens upon dozens, uh, say that uh, you know they read it in a day or two. Uh, they just couldn't put it down. And that's, that, that, that was really uh, very rewarding to hear that. And for the listeners, again, click on the link in the show notes, and it'll take you right to Amazon. Uh, Charles, uh, when you look at that case and all the other cases that you worked on in your career, and compare it to the system today, and I'm going to get a comment from both of you in a minute or two about the the recent mass shooting. Um, would you like to be still prosecuting in court today? I think I know your oh, answer. I, I, I miss it uh, terribly. I love I love prosecuting. I love trying cases. Uh, it was uh, that's all I really did. I, I mean, I worked civilly in in uh, you know uh, personal injury cases. And in 1970, I became a prosecutor, and that's really where my life, uh, <laughs> I wanted it to be in all those years, 25 years of uh, prosecuting cases. I did want to, I did want to mention this aside. It was funny. If, if you, you read the book, uh, Where Rich Started the Book, he starts the book right at the rape of Bernice Kaplan. That, that's chapter one. Right. And you look, you look to start the book with a, with a grabber, something that will really attract their attention. That is a very important part of the case. But I remember when I started the book, when I started writing, I started almost the same thing, but on on the uh, psychologist at the uh, state prison who took Reldon under his wing. And I really started there with this psychologist who just couldn't do enough to get Reldon out of jail. He wrote messages to the uh, parole board urging his uh, his release. And it was funny how we both focused on that, that particular area, the... Uh, the rape and then the uh, mistreatment of, of his uh, his uh, penal situation by the doctors. So uh, that's something that always struck me, how we both came to the same area to start the book. The Charmer, of course, uh, as we're talking about tonight, is an award finalist in the USA Book News 2012 Best Book Competition in True Crime. Uh, just before, we only have a couple of minutes, guys, because I'm, I'm quite swamped tonight with uh, covering the Sandy Hook uh, shooting. But uh, I, I'd like to start with you, Charles, your thoughts on that shooting, the system, and uh, what can be done to try and prevent a tragedy like that from happening again. Well, it's so complicated. It, it's really something that's going to take a, a long time to work out. I mean, you can't get around the constitutional right to bear arms, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, we the society's progressed so far that the, the arms they're talking about now, the, these high-powered automatic weapons that can shoot 100, 100 bullets in 30 seconds. I mean, somebody has to look at this seriously in terms of just how, just what is the scope of the right to bear arms? Uh, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, this is this is just so stunning. This whole situation that uh, something will have to be done. I, I have no answers, but uh, we've got to do something. 26 innocent uh, adults and children gunned down, Richard. If you were to write the book on Sandy Hook, where would you start? Well, I'm uh, to, to begin with, I'm a, an NRA member and a, a supporter of uh, the Second Amendment, but I think there has to be some reasonable approach to this problem. Uh, it, it's, it's not just a simple solution no. problem. There's there's the, the, the culture of violence in our country. Uh, I mean, when you look at some of these... Uh, games that kids play on their uh, uh, computers uh, with the violence involved in those games, it just desensitizes them to what the real world is. So I, I just think it's a comprehensive solution. I hope the NRA takes a reasonable approach to this and, and uh, does everything it can to work with the President's Commission and get guns out of the hands of uh, mentally ill people and, and 
close some of the loopholes, uh, like the gun show loophole. I, I think we have to take a reasonable approach to this. Amen for that. Uh, you two guys got lots of stories, I'm sure. Will we see another book coming out soon? I am actually working on a, a, a fourth book. It's not in the true crime genre, but it should be out in the uh, early next year. And um, I'm uh, also planning my fifth book, which will be another venture into the true crime area, another serial killer from New Jersey. Uh, we had our share of those, so I hope, Dana, you'll invite me back when that one's ready, too. Oh, absolutely. Charles, are you uh, going to be hanging I'll out just, with... I'll just be looking to read Rich's books. Uh, my writing career is over. But I, I, I think I can see you, though, with uh, Brad and Angelina walking the red <laughs> carpet anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all the best. Uh, congratulations. And, of course, you're welcome, uh, both of you, on this program anytime. And, uh, again, the book, The Charmer, uh, click on the link in the show notes and pick it up. It's a good one for sure. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Take care. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Richard and Charles, the author of The Charmer. Pick it up. An excellent book. Uh, again, uh, named an award finalist in the USA Book News 2012 Best Book Competition in True Crime. Uh, speaking of true crime, the Sandy Hook disaster, the mass shooting in Connecticut is on everybody's mind. We're going to cover it here tonight. We're going to take a break and come back with uh, security expert, former FBI agent, uh, Clint Van Zandt, to talk about what could be done, what can be done, why did this happen. After that, Blink uh, from Blink on Crime, our sister blog, will be here. And Red, the uh, owner, operator, general manager, top banana of uh, Scared Monkeys, will be here. And we'll be talking to them about Sandy Hook and doing a year in review about uh, all the cases and all the stories we covered. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. Uh, Clint Van Zant, a friend of the programs here, former FBI agent, uh, security expert, uh, livesecure.org, his webpage. Uh, we're going to continue on with our coverage on the Sandy Hook shooting. Clint, welcome to the program. Hi, Dana. Tough times to be talking, but uh, these things, we got to talk about it so we can start to do something about it. Absolutely. We've covered a lot of these, you and I, over the years, and of course your work on NBC yeah. and, and uh, on other channels. Uh, the mass shootings go on and on and on. Uh, 26 innocent uh, adults and children. Uh, there's all sorts of talk now, gun control, mental health system, video games, uh, you name it. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, mass shooting. Well, number one, this is the 13th mass shooting that's taken place in America. Uh, you say, well, gee, you got 310 million Americans. That's not bad. I, I don't want to hear that's not bad. Tell that's not bad to the parents of one of the kids who died. And exactly. See the response you get. And obviously you're not saying that. I know it. I just I hear other people say, well, it, it isn't that bad. And, you know, when we look back in America, too, Dana, we can go back to uh, – to Bath, Michigan in 1927, 1927, when 38 elementary age children, ages uh, second to sixth grade, 38 children, two teachers and four adults, were killed by a bomb that a member of the school board, and at that time it was a bomb made out of crude dynamite, but he set a bomb off inside of a school and killed 38 little kids. And then like many of these guys, in this guy's case, uh, in 1927, he committed suicide. So even though violence targeted against a school uh, is unfortunately not totally unusual, and as you know, last Friday, a uh, individual in China used a knife to slash 23 children uh, in a uh, elementary school in China. So it's not even unique to America, but what is unique, I think, many times, is the gun violence. The gun violence we see in this country, realize that, you know, 310 million Americans, about 300 million guns, give or take, you know, how many ever you want to go one way or the other. And last year, for example, there were about 32,000 firearms-related deaths in the United States. Number one, that's terrible. Number two, about 16,000 of those were suicides. So, Many times we have the use of firearms turned inward just by itself as an act of suicide, or we see what we what we saw last Friday, this horrific mass murder suicide that took place. 
Clint Van Zandt is here, uh, sticking with gun control for a minute, and, and uh, I, I think it was a Bushmaster that he had, a couple of handguns, um, yeah. what, whatever. You know, we can go back to, I think, Scotland, and, and it was at 94, the uh, mass yeah. shooting at yeah. the school there. Uh, assault weapon bans are one thing, uh, but what about uh, gun control and those with mental health issues? Well, you know, Dana, one of the things that those little kids who were mowed down shot between at least three times, and one of the little children was shot at least 11 times with a high-powered assault rifle at close range. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it still boggles my mind. Yeah. It brings me to tears. But one of the things those children learn in school is that the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. I mean, that's a very easy equation, but it has to be applied in something like this, this situation too, Dana. I mean, if if the uh, U.S. uh, government thinks it's going to solve the problem simply by a ban on buying assault weapons, which something needs to be done, yep. or simply a band on high-capacity magazines, realizing this guy, uh, you know, when, when we were in Vietnam, when I was in Vietnam, you'd take banana clips of 30, 30 rounds, and you'd rubber band the two together, so you could empty one and then flip it over, jam, jam the uh, clip in, and go with another 30 rounds. But So this guy had these high-capacity rounds, but Dana, we also need background checks on anybody who purchased a firearm anywhere. We need to exclude those with mental health issues from ever purchasing firearms. We need new mental health care facilities in this country. We need a way, Dana, for parents, for you and I, for teachers, for neighbors to identify a person who presents a potential threat to himself or others psychologically, what do we do with that information? You dial 911 and the police say, well, you know, if he hasn't hurt anybody yet, it's really not our responsibility. Well, whose responsibility is it? We need violent video games. We know this shooter spent hours and hours and hours playing violent video games. Dana, just like just like the shooter did uh, uh, Andres uh, Breivik yes. in uh, Norway in July of 2011, where he killed 77 and injured 250. He played violent video games for three or four years, honing his ability, number one, to shoot, and number two, to diminish his ability to respond to the carnage that he was created. And then we need to deal with violent movies, TV shows, music, anything that violence that advocates violence against anyone to include women, children, police officers. We need to teach kids conflict resolution skills and an alternative to violence, how they can do it, and we need to teach that in first grade and thereafter. And we need to consider uh, security in our schools. But Dana, in America, we've got between 125,000 in 150,000 schools, K through 12, as you know, about 650,000 police officers would do the math. We don't have enough police officers, deputy sheriffs to put an armed officer in every school. So we have to address each of these 10 points, and I'm sure you and your listeners have more. And if we think a quick fix by Congress saying, okay, no more assault weapons, no more high-capacity magazines, high-five and let's move on. We're going to be burying more kids. Absolutely. There's a lot more to it than that. Uh, Clint Van Zandt's here. Uh, And and, uh, you and I have talked about this every time. Uh, Cho, uh, the uh, Army base, uh, you name it. Let's talk about the first responders. Uh, You're a small community, 27,000 I believe. Uh, You're you're coming in. We all saw the video uh, the, the policeman running towards the scene, the kids running away from the scene, and uh, what about those cops? What about those first responders in that scene? I, um, I, I can't imagine a worse crime scene, no. a worse shooting scene. Uh, you know, I, we, you, you and I know that you know police officers, uh, deputies, uh, FBI agents in the military, by and large, you know, you learn or you're trained not to let your emotions grab a hold of you. It's called alienation of affection. If you come into the scene of a violent automobile accident and kids are hurt and limbs are cut off, you can't cry. You can't stand there and throw up because it makes you sick because you're the the first responder. You've got to make it right. You've got to make it whole or as best you can. 
and that was the job of these men and women. And as you know, since since Columbine, uh, shooting in Colorado, it used to be, you know, first responders, you'd have to wait, and then SWAT would have to mount up, right. and they'd have to bring a truck, and they'd have to get the guns, and they'd have to, well, you know, we, we don't have that long. It's nice. SWAT's a wonderful thing to have, but unless you have it right on the scene, what we've done, uh, you know, in, in the States and I think around the world is we've trained officers first two or three officers on the scene, you guys have got to penetrate, you've got to go for the shooter, and if one of you gets hit and go down, the other one or the other two keeps hat, you have keep to going. keep moving forward. If you see wounded laying there, you have to move past them. You have to get to that shooter and knock him down and keep him down before anyone else is injured. And, you know, in these small towns where maybe the most significant thing they do is handle noise complaints many times because it's, it's just perfect little environment, all of a sudden you're plunged into the worst case scenario that any law enforcement officer might have to run into. Not only are you uh, dealing with a mass shooting, but you're dealing with mass victims where you know some of these could be your kids, they could be your neighbor's kids, and you're going in to deal with this situation. I can't, I can't imagine how these officers over the years deal with something like this. And you know, these guys, these men and women are heroes because now, as your listeners know, when you hear gunshots, we're told as citizens, as civilians, you're supposed to run, you're supposed to get away. Well, police, deputies, troopers, whoever they are, no, they do the opposite. They run toward the sound. And Dana, that's just like the teacher and the psychologist did in that school. They ran toward the threat trying to deal with it. They were both gunned down. But this is what we expect our police officers to do. And I can't imagine these men and women won't for years carry that horrible picture of these brutalized kids laying all over the floor, shot to pieces. Most of them are a significant number of them headshots up close by this by this madman who carried this out. Absolutely a monster, that's for sure. We call it rapid deployment and eliminate the threat. And uh, one thing, and I, I want you to put your media hat on a little bit now, Clint Van Zandt is here in the last few minutes. And I tell you, when I was watching the segments uh, live, and it really got to me, and I know that that on-site reporter and the, the person covering it wants to get the what we call the oh-my-God story, but yeah. really interviewing the little kids. Uh, yeah, I thought that was terrible. I just I was, I, I was sick about horrible. that. I was. Yeah, when I saw somebody interviewing a story, I thought, "You sick bastard, you! You know, leave those kids alone." Now, you know, this was an ever-changing story. I mean, when, when I first got the call, Dana from NBC and MSNBC Friday morning uh, on my cell phone, they said there's been a shooting. Uh, we've got uh, perhaps a one adult shot in the foot and maybe one child injured, and it looks like the shooter's down. Yeah. Terrible situation, but, you know, something that wasn't going to eat up the news day one way or the other, unfortunately. Well, it, you know, in less than an hour, I'm getting a call. We've got 20 kids that are dead. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, it, it was absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely overwhelming. As a parent, as, as a grandfather of eight children myself between the ages of newborn and 11, I mean, any of the faces of those children could have been the faces of, of my grandchildren or anybody else's child listening there. And I think that's what made it so horrific, because these were the, the weakest, the most uh, defenseless members of our society. And, you know, we're still looking, not that we need to know, but, you know, we want to know the motive. What caused this? Was it because the shooter, we, we know he's had significant mental illness issues for a number of years. We know he's played these violent video games for a number of years. We know he's a loner. We know he's a recluse. We know that he couldn't talk to people. He couldn't socialize. He had a whole bunch of flags but the challenge is, how do you convert those flags to say, this is the person for sure that's going to act out on this? But these last few weeks, it looks like, Dana, there was some significant psychological deterioration. Uh, the shooter and his mother hadn't talked. The mother was considering getting perhaps outside, uh, additional outside psychological assistance. This guy didn't like the idea. I think that's why, supposedly, 
he shot her in the face. I mean, that was such anger, frustration, rage. The challenge comes to drawing a line from the mother's bedroom where she's murdered to that school and trying to understand why he would act out like that. Well, maybe his computer that he destroyed, maybe we can find some ideas, some links, something there. But what I know, Dana, as a society, is there's enough people with mental health issues, 25% of people in the United States have some minor uh, to medium type of mental health issue. Of those 25% of 310 million Americans, there are some sitting on the edge of the psychological abyss that will model, that will copy this guy's behavior, just like kids copy the behavior of the two shooters at Columbine. And unless we're ready, number one, to try to exclude them from contact with guns, and number two, help with these mental health issues and these other 10 points that I made, we're going to see this over again. And you cannot legislate morality and common sense. You have to teach it. It begins in the home, it goes in the school, and until we realize we are our brothers and sisters keeper, we are going to bury more little kids. Thanks, Clint. Happy holidays to you, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That's Clint Van Zant, and, and how true is that? Um, you know, we can sit back and speculate. They'll, they'll look at the hard drives. They'll try and figure out and put the pieces together, the, the uh, why. Uh, you know, she's... The mom is talking about putting him in a mental institution. If true, uh, he takes mom out and then goes and, and, and gets the kids. And maybe he thought the kids were more important to mom than he was. I don't know. It is a tragedy, that's for sure. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Blink from Blink on Crime and Red from Scared Monkeys for our annual 2012 Year in Review. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. It's always a pleasure to have Red on. He's the managing editor, the boss, the top banana of Scared Monkeys. How are you, sir? I'm good tonight, Dana. How are you doing? I'm good. Are we politically correct to say Merry Christmas on Scared Monkeys, or can't we do that? <laughs> you can always say Merry Christmas on Scared Monkeys, you can, and we can say Happy Hanukkah to the rest of our... Uh, <sighs> We don't. We we cite the specific holiday. We do not cite Happy Holidays. I am trying to get Blinkster on the line here, but I wonder if she's getting snowed in or snowed out or something. But we'll uh, we'll keep trying to get a hold of Blink. Uh, I'm just getting her voicemail. But uh, what we do every time at this time of year is uh, kind of do a year in review. Uh, bring Blink on to talk about uh, crime stories that we've covered and and read to talk about uh, what's gone on at Scared Monkeys with crime stories and uh, political stories. But while we're waiting for uh, Blank Red, uh, your thoughts on the uh, Sandy Hook uh, mass shooting? Uh, Like the rest of the country and probably many around the world, just absolutely horrified by what one madman, and as you do in your uh, commentaries, I'm not going to... uh, say his name either um it is absolutely tragic that 26 people would die at the school 20 beautiful children between the ages of six and seven and six absolutely amazingly heroic uh teachers and the principal trying to prevent this crime shielding uh shielding uh babies basically from a madman Um, I actually have a little bit of a personal connection to this in the sense that I went to uh, high school 15 miles away from this area, Um, know it very well. Um, It's heartbreaking, to say the least. Um, You see the, the worst of what some of us have become in this country, and sadly, uh, as you see and you've read and you've covered Dana this it's happening all too often Um, we're starting to get a trend uh, in that it's young males and through the sorrow I mean I I can't imagine what it must look like there with um, just funeral after funeral crossing each other Um, it, it there's no words to describe it and I guess I actually get even more enraged about this because we at Scared Monkeys not only follow the crime of it, 
we follow the politics of it. Right. And I think it's disgustingly heinous to politicize this kind of stuff That's right. with agendas when we know what it takes to, we should know, I should say, what it takes to protect our children. It is sad that it takes something like this to wake people up to protect our children. But I have actually said for years, once 9-11 happened, that I cringed at the fact of what terrorism would do in this country with so many soft targets that we have in the United States. Partially, you know, hey, we have a, we have a United States Constitution, and it provides a lot of liberties to a lot of people. And everyone wants to jump on the gun issue. Well, there's privacy issues that are here. Um, there's ouch. You think health I, issues as well. You, just a minute. I think we're going to have a friend on here. Hang on one second. Is this who I think it is? Oh my God! I'm sorry. We had a power surge here, and it knocked me offline. Red, our 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 co-host tonight says she got knocked off line. I'm not sure if that means if she was walking a tightrope and fell off or. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> she has been practicing with the Walendas. I do know that. <laughs> Listen, uh, for, for those of you that uh, don't know her, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the late Blink from uh, Blink on Crime, and that's okay. We we uh, apologize on her behalf, uh, but she doesn't have to apologize because she's uh, having power problems and snow and all those sorts of things. Anyway, listen, Blake, just to catch you up, uh, we're talking to Red uh, a little bit about uh, Sandy Hook, and then we're going to get into the year in review. And uh, if it's okay with you, Red, I'd like to get Blink's thoughts on Sandy Hook also. Definitely. Oh, Dana, I think we all agree. There's more not to be, you know, there's more not to be said, I think, than than has been said. What I what I think is, it was, you know you've heard me say this before, it was preventable. And when I can put that in a sentence, when there are uh, 20 babies that were massacred along with uh, six teachers and the backstory that goes with this, I don't even think I'm at the point where I'm angry yet, but I, I, I can certainly feel myself getting there like most. It's just so tragic and shocking and, frankly, paralyzing. But what it also is was preventable. Yeah. I don't know if you heard the segment because you're having power problems that I did with Clint uh, just before uh, you two came on. But one of the things read that absolutely the the act, the heinous act, the the monster that took these children's lives is, is you know, and we can we can debate uh, gun control, mental health, video games, all that sort of stuff. But one thing that angered me the most, besides the act itself, I couldn't believe the media interviewing those little kids on the scene. Now, I know you want to get that oh-my-God story and you want to do what you can, but to to stick a mic in a face of a little child that's just gone through something like this and ask them how they feel, I'll tell you, if I could have reached my hand through that TV and grabbed that reporter and given him a slap, I would have. Am I wrong? Absolutely not. You're, you're absolutely correct. It's inappropriate. It is, you know... I'll tell you what it is. It is negligent, first of all, because if that child that you're referring to, and I don't know which one specifically, was, was not with an adult, first of all, that's a minor. Yeah. So there's no way anybody should be interviewing somebody like that that's been through a traumatic event. How insensitive can you be? But if I could, on, on, the, on the subject of insensitivity, I would also say that um, I was in the general area of where um, Lonza's older brother was when this happened a couple hours later right um and it's one of these things when you're you know a criminalist and and you just get a vibe about something that's about to go down in a a very small town in in the area of hoboken which uh it's it's an outside of the city but only by about 15 minutes um but it has the same general flow if you will and and frankly has not recovered from sandy it was one of the areas most hardly hard hit and a lot of things aren't even open. Um, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, roads and passages, et cetera. Right. Um, but so I was in the vicinity when um, police converged upon uh, Ryan Lanza and watched him, you know, being walked down the street in handcuffs. 
I felt that the coverage of that was, once I found out, you know, what was going on and what the situation was, was grossly insensitive as well. I'll tell you, it's not a suspect. Red, what your thoughts on the coverage, and then I want to get into 2012. And I couldn't agree with um, Link more. It's it's completely irresponsible to be interviewing a six-year-old as if they were a sixty-year-old. Yeah. Now, sadly, this is what our media has become. And I mean, I had an issue with this back in 2005 when we were covering Natalie Holloway, when we had all the Mountain Brook teens on our site, and I was being contacted by every network, every producer, to be able to get these, pe- get these kids to do interviews for them. And I said, absolutely not. If they want to do it through whatever means they want to do it, they can contact you directly, but I was in no way going to be a conduit for the feeding frenzy. The feeding frenzy, that's a good term. Anyway, let's let, let's turn from that sad story because I'm sure we'll be covering it lots as the uh, days and weeks and months go on. Uh, Blink, uh, 2012, we're almost done. It's the 19th of December. We're actually doing our year in review a little early. Uh, but uh, I thought I'd do it this way. Let's uh, talk about what you consider the biggest story on Blink on Crime in 2012. Ooh, I knew you were going to do that to me. Thank <laughs> um, <laughs> you. I think when I say biggest, it certainly is not um, promulgated by you know the most tragic or the most violent or things along those lines. But when I would have, I would have to consider um, certainly Jerry Sandusky and yep. the fall of the Nittany regime, if you will, as being the largest, most pervasive story that continues in in 2012. Red scared monkeys. Uh everyday life stories, uh, stories that aren't heard in the mainstream media, politics, crime, missing people, um, you name it, uh, entertainment, you you cover it all. And I'm going to ask you the same question, and I'm sure you're going to say that's a dumb question, but what's your biggest story of 2012? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's the one that probably affects every aspect of everything we do, whether it be covering crimes, dealing with uh, predators, dealing with criminals, dealing with crime, and that was that we had an election (laughs) in the United States. I knew it. (laughs) Um, I have to admit (laughs) to you, Dana, I couldn't do it at the time when we last spoke, when we were talking election eve. Mm -hmm. Uh, You may have had a inkling that there was a little bit that was off in my tone. Yes. I had gotten emails of exit polling that was, to say the least, not good (laughs) prior to uh, us talking about that. So I was kind of hoping it was a little bit of the uh, Bush-Kerry kind of exit polling wrong, but it turned out not to be. Um, I only say Things like this are the most important because in a, in, in a macrocosm, this is how we look upon everything that we do in this country. Um, I tend to have a little bit of an issue with people not being informed enough. Uh, that comes into play with everything that Blink does on her site because she goes out of her way to make sure she gets the truth before she puts it out there. Half the time she has the truth and she still doesn't put it out there because she knows it's irresponsible and she can't. However, as we you know, just briefly talked about with the Sandy Hook uh, massacre, the first three hours of the story uh, were all wrong. <laughs> Every bit of the news was wrong. You know, the woman was a teacher. Uh, we had, you know, as, as Blink said, we handcuffed and perp-walked the wrong person. Yep. Um, every bit about that news coverage was wrong in order to get the story out first. Um, but when we look at that from a greater perspective of the politics of everything, 
Is it any wonder why everything is wrong from the media? Because they didn't tell the truth during the entire election cycle. <laughs> so why would I think at any point they could possibly get a story of such a heinous um, murder correct when they went out of their way to basically cover up a, uh, oh, I don't know, a mur murders in Benghazi, which the report just came out today that showed that there were systemic errors every inch of the way from the State Department, but in, po in typical political fashion, they couldn't point their finger at anybody. But there were errors everywhere, but no one did anything wrong. But that's just the way we uh, have to go on now. And like you said, we're going to be probably doing a lot of stories in the future on gun control, and that's not really the answer. No, you know, and I agree. It's uh, the 2012 Year in Review, Blink from Blink on Crime and Red from Scared Monkeys are here. Uh, Blink, um, you cover the stories in 2012 and 11 and 10 and, and then 13, and, and you'll continue on that uh, – that don't get heard uh, in the mainstream media. You give a voice to those that aren't able to uh, be able to be heard by, by people. Cover the stories that uh, aren't always covered. However, one story we all covered, uh, Casey Anthony, and uh, a big story. Uh, we were all involved in it. Uh, talking to Cindy Anthony the way that I did many times is just like yesterday, and uh, the hair on the back of my neck... It still stands up thinking about it. Um, what a story. Uh, your thoughts in 2012 on the Anthony case. I don't have any. Yeah. And I do that on purpose. I really, I work hard not to, and I'll tell you why. I guess I should explain that and not come off as glib. Um, as far as the civil trial, um, I, with the injustice I feel occurred, uh, with the verdict to me it's you know white noise anymore in the background um what i i'm not getting over anytime soon is is that there is just no question that um this was a prosecutorial uh, strategy error and um yet everybody goes on and everybody you know has a different career and and things progress and unfortunately it, justice was not served not that you ever really get justice in the death of a you know a 30 30 month old child but for me giving any more fodder to that um when we're dealing with people that have socially recognized that you know when there is google juice to this name and to those names that it gets them a payday for me, I, I have kind of a quiet resonance uh, between myself and that little girl that, you know, things come around and I'm just not going to, you know, publicize Casey Anthony any more than, you know, we everybody already does. If she's going to benefit. That's how I see it. Red, when, and, and I knew you were going to answer that way, when Blink and I talked last show or the show before and... Uh, we were talking about Jose Baez, and and uh, she has a screenshot of him looking at the Blink on Crime site, and and uh, I just won. And, and the uh, uh, all the folks that go to because you know who's on your site at Scared Monkeys, uh, reading and 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 going from there, and and me, I I sit back and smile uh, because now everybody has a internet talk show. Um, we kind of without blowing our own horn too much, we started this. And uh, we are still doing what we did from the beginning. And what's different from day one at Scared Monkeys to January 1st of 2013 for Scared Monkeys? Well, you have to take the fact, uh, Dana, that imitation is the best form of fl flattery, right? Well, I've heard some of the imitators, and I'm not too flattered. <laughs> well, and I was just going to say, and I was just going to say, even though it's flattery, it is imitation. That's right. Sure. Um, I think what's different... Um, and I'm not quite sure how to say this. I mean, we started this in, I would say, January, February 2005 is when, even though the site was around a little bit um, earlier than that, there was, there was a different mentality out there. Um, 
for a better term, I would say it was a little bit more uh, non-polarized. Even, even though we went through some pretty hateful stuff yep. back, you know, then with you know many uh, of the sites spun off and became hate sites. Uh, as I've told, you know, Blink several times. I've, as I've told you, Dana, you haven't made it in life until you had your own personal hate site named after you. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but that being <laughs> several times, right? Yeah. Oh God. I mean, but that being said, there is so much more of it out there. Um, what was maybe ten sites that used to cover something. Now there's 10,000. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily make it better just because there's more. It, it, it really makes it that you have to be really careful as to where you're getting your information from and that you have trusted sources and that you are, um, you're just not, you know, don't believe it just because it's on Wikipedia. Just, <laughs> just, a, hint, just a hint to America. Um, but... That being said, as compared to, to, to now, it becomes uh, – you have to basically more focus yourself, I tend to think, nowadays on specific things that you want to do. And you have to enjoy it. Back then, there was a newness to a lot of this. As you, as you said, you know – bringing on, you know, being radio, putting that out there, you know, y you were one of the first people yep. to actually be out there doing this stuff. The funny part is, even though we got blasted for it, because we have a, um, we do the crime, but we also do a lot of politics, yep. there's like a genre <laughs> between the two, and back then, neither the two basically touched each other. Right. So when we started doing a lot of crime, a lot of missing persons, a lot of the political people were like poo-poo to you as to why we were doing it. And in turn, um, we just focused, I mean, obviously everybody knows the reason why we did it with Natalie Holloway, with the direct connection that we had with, um, with Aruba in, in the past and things like that. But to, to look at it now, um, I would just tend to say and I think our our society reflects it. God, it's become a lot, it's become a lot more hateful. <laughs> I mean, people just have no sense of responsibility or accountability. Don't think that just because you make a comment and threaten somebody that we don't know who you are. We do. <laughs> you can't hide. <laughs> I mean, and you know, and I found it amazing. And I think you even um, did a commentary on it, Data, that the police up in Sandy Hook with the shooting yep. had to put out a statement about people putting false information out there on the Internet Absolutely. and that they were going to prosecute them. Yep. What the hell have we come to yep. where that's the narcissistic people that are out there that think just because they're going to put something out there so that they can be the first that somebody says something provocative even though it's not true. Blink from Blink on Crime. You know, we do this because obviously we enjoy it we want to make a difference we put our without sounding too corny our heart and soul into it and i can think of all the cases that you've covered stories read on scared monkeys and the stories that i've told and and done interviews about on this program uh 2012 uh, a name uh, jennifer kessie comes to mind and uh I think of all the times that I've talked to, to Drew and Joyce and, and, and the missing people, but uh, your thoughts on the Kessies and uh, this past year? Well, first, I'm certainly extremely fond of the Kessies, as you know, yeah. um, and I, my prayers are with them on a, on a constant and daily basis. <clears throat> my thoughts on her case, unfortunately, are not as promising. Uh, when we last spoke about it, when you interviewed Drew, um, we were very enthusiastic and um, positive about the direction and some of the things that we, I'll say, unearthed on Blink on Crime because they did, and we were, and it was new. And, and to hear the father of a missing daughter, uh, who at the time was going on her fifth year, mm -hmm. um, with Promise, who is 
legitimately as fantastic of a family as this is, and it is, you know, the loss of a loved one, especially a missing loved one, um, is devastating. To hear him, you know, rejuvenate to a point of, of promise after what is a chronic beatdown really was, was wonderful. Unfortunately, um, there's a fixed mindset within the agency that's working this case. And uh, although he has asked repeatedly to have it moved to a cold status so that it would have new eyes, um, that hasn't happened. Um, they put a new team on it. I, I, I'm aware of what their philosophy is, and respectfully, I vehemently disagree. And you're not going to solve a case if you go into it thinking you have already solved it. You just can't arrest somebody. That just doesn't it doesn't work. No. Um, so sadly, I mean short of finding Jennifer, I doubt very highly this case will ever be solved. And just if I could expand on that, when we talk about 2012 and things that we've covered and things along those lines, we could certainly talk about individual cases and what ha and, and components of those within that right. and what they mean. Um, to me, you know, as a criminalist or an investigative writer or, or, or you know, to the, to the globe, if you will, but one common thread that I'm seeing, which is a huge concern, is the majority of them are not solved. Right. And there's not an arrest. I could rattle them off right now and when they, you know, commenced and, and where they are investigatively and they are nowhere near that. They're, you know, you have Irwin, who is the missing 10-month-old. You have Kyron Horman, yeah. who has been missing for two years in June. And the civil suit, as I predicted, and I'm not tooting my own horn, this is really kind of legalese and common sense, uh, was just abated. And the problem with that is, as it relates to our shock and, and, and horror over, um, you know, what happened in Sandy Hook, it all resonates. It all comes down to uh, accountability and responsibility and the relationships and training of law enforcement and how they look at these cases and what resources, let's emphasize that, what resources are available to them. I heard Clint say to you in your interview, you know, uh, okay, so you spot somebody that is acting, you know, irrationally or acting like they, you perceive that they are a threatening person. You know that they might have access to firearms in the home. What do you do? Yep. Do you call 911? And when they say, well, they didn't really do anything, what do you do? We really need to have better resources to identify problematic behavior before these situations happen. We just do. And I don't know where that, I don't know what the, that, you know, magic answer is. Is it, you know, with children and youth services? Is it with, you know, people getting involved? Red makes a point where he said, well, you know, it's like nobody's responsible and nobody cares and this and other thing. Well, they certainly care when, you know, the travesty of 20 babies being slaughtered comes down. It, it all has a genesis, is my point. Not trying to be, you know, conspiratorial, but the bottom line is, is if, if we are going to be compassionate, which we certainly should be, then we should also try and be preventative. And what I'm seeing as a common denominator is consistently these things, in some, if not most, of the cases are preventable. What's the answer? That's where the focus needs to be. And we will continue that focus in, in 2013. And, Red, I want to uh, uh, finish up with you and Blank and ask you this question, Red. Uh, from Scared Monkeys, uh, what will we see at Scared Monkeys in 2013? To kind of parallel what, what Blink was just saying, I hope we see closure to a lot of these things that are... Um, I, 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 think, I think even Blink made this comment one time in a past interview. We need some wins, is what we need. Yep. Um, 2000 and 12 had some really, really horrific things happen in it. It started out so promising with Joran Vandersloot getting 28 years, and it kind of digressed from there. Um, I mean, we haven't even really gotten into the, uh, the George Zimmerman, Tra Trayvon Martin exactly. situation where we have a crime that was so politicized 
I'm not quite sure what section, what category that it actually goes under. Does it go under crime or does it go under politics? All of the above. Does it go under media bias? Yeah. Um, but when we look at these kinds of things, I tend to think, and I hope for 2013, that we, that, and when I say we, Blink investigating, us writing, law enforcement um, doing their job, that we can, in fact, either A, solve some of these crimes, or as Blink, and I, and I truly believe, we've got to be more proactive and try to prevent these things. I don't know what it's like up um, in your neck of the woods, Blink, but down here, every school has a police officer at it right now. Every school has a car there. Everybody know. I mean, Dana, you know, you're a police officer. We do. You guys yeah. put cars out there just to slow traffic down, yep. and there's nobody in the car. That's right. <laughs> because <laughs> normal people, they could be going 20 miles an hour in a 50-mile-an-hour zone. They see a police car. They step on the brake. Yep. We are trained to do that, and even as sick as this individual was in Sandy Hook, I guarantee you, had there been somebody there, he would not have done this. Because you can tell he had his mind go. He was diabolically evil. Because no one, no one erases their hard drive and trashes their hard drive before they're about to go on a killing spree. Exactly. Nobody. Yep. But, I mean, for that being said, I can only hope for 2013 that we truly care about protecting our children. We... We have covered story after story. We haven't even mentioned some of the most heinous crimes that have taken place with young, with young girls being killed for their bicycles. That's right. That have happened this year by two little thugs who, we, we, we I mean, it, you get speechless with the Jessica Ridgway story. Yep. Where you're just like, oh dear God, how could anybody do this to somebody? And it's, these things happen. Every single, I shouldn't say day, week, month. But yet no one pays attention to it until it's so horrific that 26 and 7-year-old little kids are murdered. And you have to take notice at that point because being derelict the whole rest of the time and not caring, I mean, I, I, I've always said in the past, they, children are our least protected people. That's right. And the reason being, they don't vote. They, there's no reason to really care in the past because they didn't represent anything. Well, now, if they, they do, because you can't turn away from it anymore. You, we've got to find a way. And like I said, we're going to have probably a lot of stories about this and talking about this forever coming into 2013 but gun banning guns hell <laughs> I do have a carry and conceal permit for exactly this reason that I know as good of a police officer as you are Dana I'm only as good as good until you get there this whole sad story what happened in Sandy Hook was over by the time the cops got there and that's something that really has to be looked at because it doesn't matter whether it was an assault-type weapon, semi-automatic, whatever. The same thing could have been done with a, with a pistol. That's right. Same thing. Could yeah. have been done with a handgun. You could have had 20 clips. I mean, I can unload a clip in, what, three seconds? Yep. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 really doesn't, it really doesn't take that much. But I think we really just have to focus on we value these kids as they're supposed to be our, most, our greatest national treasure. Well, if we're going to put guards in a bank to guard money, I think we can put a little self-protection in a school to help guard our children. I really do, and I hope that's what comes. What hope that is what comes of a lot of this stuff. And I hope for once, politicians do the right thing. 
Well, we're all holding our breath and hoping that comes true. Blink uh, 2013, uh, you're covering the stories, and we'll continue to cover them, and and we'll be working with you and having you on the show. And, uh, you know, a lot of sad cases and some some positive things. And, uh, you know, talking to the uh, the Charmer guys tonight, the two authors, and we were joking around a little bit. Uh, Luckily, when they told me that they're looking at it, making a movie out of this he wants brad pitt to play him and we had a laugh and 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 and, and that's good that's that's good to see but uh, uh there's been so much sad stuff out there too so we kind of you know split it down the middle but what what will we see at blink on crime in 2013 well i sincerely hope dana that we see uh some closure in yeah. in some of the cases that we've covered and and and, and those I'm referring to are very specific. But what I also want to see is I want to see um, what tends to happen in some of these cases, and and Red brought up Jessica Ridgway. And and for me personally, that is an intensely personal case. It it mirrors uh, education and some post-grad work that I did throughout the summer, almost to a freakish, weird uh, way, almost like it was preparing me, if I could sound a little obtuse. that particular offender uh, scares me. And having had some years under my belt now, not a lot does. That one does. I think they have it wrong. I think that he was involved, but I think he was mentored, and I think there's somebody else. And why I bring that up is because it goes to my other point, and that is a lot of times law enforcement, what their task is, as you know, is that they, they need an arrest. You know, and not that not that they're going to do that at the expense of the security of others, but they also, uh, based on the resources that they have available, are not necessarily expanding and tracking down leads and possible associations as they should. Um, and that has a lot to do with, especially in a high-profile case. That concerns me because I think there has been some loose ends, and, and a great example of that is is the second, you know, scariest. Uh, profile I've ever personally studied, and that's of Jet Duncan. Mm-hmm. And he is has this singular, uh, I guess, claim to fame of having the only computer and uh, hardware that has ever been successfully encrypted so that the FBI and the CIA could not unlock it to this day. Yeah. And when 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 you have people that are capable of doing that, and you have crimes. It concerns me that law enforcement has such a strict take on curtailing the information that becomes available publicly. Uh, Of course, I say that because I know what some of that means, and then I'm going to report on it in an effort to, what did we say earlier, be preventative. The law enforcement is more concerned about hysteria, which I think is a valid point, but there has to be... We have to come to some ground here where when we cover these cases and we investigate them and we come up with information that is shared with law enforcement, as Red said earlier, I mean, I I could probably count on both my hands the times, you know, I've talked to him about information that I've had in his story, and he's like, why are you publishing that? And the reason is, is because I don't don't do this, you know, to to bloviate. I do it because I I certainly hope at some level we're, we're affecting the outcome and i know that we have so that's my priority but you know not not to pontificate here but there is some serious holes in the way some of these cases are are being handled and that goes back to the casey anthony's the which arguably post oj now that there was social media involved was singularly the largest affected case from a public persona and a public perception with media, with the availability of, of, of being able to sell a story and hire 12 lawyers, you know, this is reality. And I think you're seeing in some cases, Horman is, is especially true of that, um, where media is, is, is calling the shots here, or, or, or should I say the threat of, of media is calling the shots here. They know that you know, trials are public, and they know that part of, of infecting or affecting a jury pool is going to come down to the CSI effect, which we saw in the Anthony trial. If you figured out that it, it benefits you, 
you know, not to be so concerned with whether or not a person is guilty or innocent, um, but that it could better your personal status, that's a problem. So for me, what I hope is to, is to keep doing what we do. Uh, I do, I am planning to revisit some old cases, so I, I, I think we're going to focus a little bit on, you know, what's changed legally in terms of criminal prosecutions and criminal trials and, and you know, the problems associated therein. But we're, we're going to really focus on what we do, which I think uh, we strive to do well, and that is to affect cases, you know, where we can develop sources, where... Uh, the information that's coming out may not be, you know, exactly correct, or there's more depth, you know, that's not being explored by the, by the mainstream media. I, I, I'm not a reporter. I'm a terrible reporter. Red will tell you. <laughs> I don't turn my front page unless I have something that, you know, nobody else can talk about. Right. <laughs> because I just don't think it's, you know, I, I, people are going to spend the time reading what I have to say. I, I think it's fair to them to have them have a perspective that I earnestly, you know, systemically grew out of work, not just that I looked at, you know, CNN, Fox, and MSNBC and, and scraped a couple lines off of each. That's just not what I do. Right. Listen, you two, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed 2012. I can't wait to work with you for 2013. And uh, uh, Blink from Blink on Crime, Red from Scared Monkeys, uh, that's it. That's 2012. And uh, we'll continue on with the daily commentaries, uh, but we'll probably won't be back with a new show until um, the first week of January 2013. So I wish you both uh, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And um, we'll uh, keep fighting the battles that we do. And my best to you. Happy holidays to you also, Red, and Happy New Year. And I look forward to working with both of you in the new year. And I would say ditto to both of you. We'll talk soon, guys. <laughs> Take Thank care. You. Thank you. Bye. Take okay. care, Dana. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it. That's uh, Scared Monkeys and Blink on Crime for 2012. 2013 will continue, and what we do here is a, a daily commentary and, and uh, a weekly or semi-weekly show um, to keep you informed and, and to give you something a little bit different that you don't hear on the uh, uh, mainstream media, uh, and um, I look forward to uh, continuing on with that type of programming in 2013. My name's Dana Pretzer. This has been the Dana Pretzer Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. We'll see you again real soon. You've been listening to the Dana Pretzer Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. We invite you to discuss tonight's program with other listeners by joining us at scaredmonkeysradio.com, where you'll find program archives, links to tonight's guest websites, and further information regarding tonight's topics. Scared Monkeys Radio is a production of scaredmonkeys.com. Thanks for listening.